we have been studying for the last two months how the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts your life and my life. We've been doing that by looking at different individuals in the scripture and how the Lord Jesus spoke to them and how he interacted with them. And today we're going to talk about the gospel on your worship. But before each of these messages and these studies, I've asked someone from our church family to come and to share their testimony of how Jesus Christ changed their life. And this morning, I've asked Kirk Owens to come and share his story. And I'm going to ask him a few questions, and he'll share his story around that. Uh, Kirk is our chairman of the deacons. He's married to his wife, Carly. They have a daughter, Annabelle, and a son, Jacob. And so would you join me in welcoming Kirk to our platform and listen carefully. Kirk, uh, I know you had a lot of time to prepare and think about this today. And uh, I called him early this morning. Actually, I just texted him, trying to save my voice. Didn't want to hear him screaming back over the phone. And, uh, but no, he was very willing. And, and um, I had, uh, was asking him, and he very graciously said, you know, I don't want to, but if he says to do that, that's what I need to do. So um, Kirk's, Kirk's story is one of God's grace. Kirk, would you share with us uh, how you first came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Um, as he said, he asked me to share, and the Lord just quickened my spirit to say, you're not your own. I bought you at a price, and uh, if you get an opportunity, remember what I said, to be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you, and so I was, I was like, how can I say no? And um, so I, I give God the praise uh, for this opportunity. I grew up in this community. This is my hometown. I enjoyed, as a little boy and as a teenager, and even now, I enjoyed the same things that many of you men enjoy. I love seeing the sunrise and set. I love, uh, I love fall. I, I love to hunt a deer, a turkey. I like to eat Dustin's fish that he catches. Um, I love to farm. I've always loved to farm. Uh, just just to be out in God's creation on my tractor, just me and, and the Lord. And through that, it was easy for me to see through my windows that God existed. I knew he was there. I knew he loved me. I knew he was big. I knew he was powerful. I seen the sunshine after the rain. I seen all the seasons come and go. But I knew I was not right with him. Going to church every Sunday, most every Sunday, that didn't make me right with God. I knew something was missing. I would, I would observe some of you men in this church, and, and I would see you, and I, I knew you had something I didn't have. Through a series of, or through the years, I began a downward cycle of, uh, I was always passionate about whatever it was I did. And, and, and God made me that way. He made many of you that way. And if I did something, it was full bore, just all out. And it didn't matter what it was. And if it was something that was of this world, I was all in. Sign me up. I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. And I know many of you that same way. And so in that, I... I after high school, I began 
uh, a downwards uh, cyclical self-destructive cycle of just doing it my way and I, I took whatever I could find to try to find satisfaction but I I knew God and, and his love and his mercy was he would show me when I was on my way to do something I knew I shouldn't be doing I could see that sun going down or coming up and he would speak to me son I got a plan for you I got a purpose for your life and you're not you're running from me and so God took me back to the farm where I'd worked in high school and y'all know Tommy Owens most of you do if you don't I, <laughs> you're not from around here but he took me back to Tommy and Matt and Joey and George and Lee Artis that whole group and uh, I wasn't looking to go back there I was looking to you know finish college but uh, that's where God took me and Tommy saw potential he saw the passion and he just knew if he could channel that God told him if if you could get Kurt exposed to the Word of God if you could get him to see what God says about who he is he'll he'll burn out the rest of his days for you he stayed very very patient with me when he should have kicked me to the curb countless times and I knew also they were listening on their tractor radios to AM 640 a station out of Memphis and uh, on that radio station the Word of God is preached by the some of the very best proclaimers you're not on there yet brother Don we're working but, on that <laughs> <laughs> Dustin <laughs> you're headed there too but um, the word of God's being proclaimed by people like Dr. Adrian Rogers, David Jeremiah, Alistair Beggs, uh, James McDonald, James McArthur, you know, the giants. And, and I just began to listen. And as I listened to the word of God and I began to go to Bible studies, I went to Jeff Gibson's Bible study, Tommy's Bible study. There was some that met at Farm Bureau at that time. And the word of God took a hold of me and, and, and changed me. And he set me on fire. I, I knew I had a choice to make. I came to, one day Tommy said, hey, uh, you go eat lunch with me today. And I said, I'm all in, what are we having? He said, beans and cornbread. We, we're having a kickoff for a revival. I didn't know it. But I was, I'd already committed to go eat the beans and cornbread. And so I came and I sat back there and uh, by Tony, where Tony's sitting that night, and I walked the aisle that night, and I came down, and I knew God was drawing me. I knew that I had a choice to make, and I felt better that night. I felt like when I went home that night, my prayers actually got past the ceiling, but I still try to do it my way, one leg in the world, one leg in the church, and, and just kept taking part in things of the world, coming to church, knowing what God was saying to do, but still bent on doing it my way. And then finally, one night in September, I was sitting right up there, and we were having the Lord's Supper, and I came down to David Hill, who was sitting right there, and Tommy had asked him the week before, uh, I want you to pray about going and talking to Kirk. He kind of comes from the same background as you. And I came down that night in September, and... I surrendered 
my life to Jesus Christ. I, I gave my life to Jesus. I, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed a Savior. I knew his name was Jesus. I knew I had to quit doing it my way and, and do it his way, which is clearly defined in the Word of God. And he set me on fire. He rescued me from the domain of my darkness, the gross life that I had chosen, the mud and the muck that I put others through and put myself through. He rescued me from the domain of my darkness, and he transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And when he done that, man, it business picked up. I... I went to a meeting with men, and I heard men pray out loud for the first time. I don't know why, but Uzbekistan was jumping off the pages of the bull, and every time I'd come to church, I'd hear about Uzbekistan. So I went to a meeting over in the gym, and it was an information meeting, and I walk in, and it's like, Kurt, what are you doing here? I said, man, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I, I just know Uzbekistan keeps jumping off the page. And so we go to Uzbekistan, and I'm there, and I'm like, Lord, are you really telling me to come live here? And... I, and then I went to Bolivia, and I was like, Lord, are you really telling me to come here? And I'm, I'm seeing all these places, and I'm experiencing life, the abundant life that Christ died for, and, and, and just enjoying life, just having a good time, growing, just eating the Word of God, just uh, telling others about Jesus, the difference he's made in my life, and the difference he wants to make in their life. And then um, he made it clear to me one morning when I was reading Psalm 96, I, I, would, I was just saying, Lord, I, I'll go wherever. Just tell me where to go. And he told me. He revealed himself and said, son, I, and not an audible voice, but every ounce of my being heard him say, son, I want you to go to China. And I did. And I saw some really cool stuff there. But one of the very most coolest things I saw there was my beautiful bride, Carly Owens. And it's her birthday today. And I met her there. The Bible says make the most of the time. So happy yes. birthday, Carly. <laughs> points matter. <laughs> you got some points. That's good. And, and when I came home, um, after a really cool, many of you came to see me and thank you. It was just an awesome time. I never had a bad day, never doubted. And really, I, I'm like, Lord, is this my reward? Because I, I when he saved me, I just, it's just been so good. I know trials come. I know tough things. I've seen some tough things. And um, I, uh, he's shown me, don't look at them. Look at me. Look at me, the good shepherd. Don't look at my sheep. They're flawed just like you. They're jacked up just like you. Look to me, the good, the good shepherd. And that's, that's something he's shown me. But he, he gave, I came home. I got to marry one of his very best daughters in all of the world. And in all of his creation, I married her, and we've got Annabelle and Jakin, and we're just enjoying life. We're getting to tell others about the difference he made in our lives and, and the difference he wants to make in their lives. And he surrounded me with some good friends. I look out here, and I see some really good fr friends that I never, ever would have picked, but God picked them for me. It was the cross, Jeff, that made a difference for me. And, uh, you know, I'll just tell you this, and uh, I hope I'm helping you on your short sermon. You promised. You promised. You promised a short sermon. So, folks, 
this place is not what I would have picked. These friends are not the friends I would have picked. And I'm glad that he picked them for me, and he picked this place for me. And, you know, my hope's not in this church, but this church is where he brought me to nurture me and to grow me and to give me you. As I look around this room, these men that rub off on me and sharpen me and help make me into the man that he wants me to be. And uh, let God choose your friends. Let God tell you where you need to go. Follow him, and he'll make you fishers of men. And he'll give you that abundant life. Amen. Amen. Kirk has discovered what happens when Jesus becomes Lord of a human heart. Amen? And I know that God is at work in, in uh, their lives, and uh, God has called them right now. They're serving actively in our church family, but we don't know that God might be using them somewhere else one day. And so would you join me in praying for Kirk and Carly and their family? And also, you may be like the way that Kirk was years ago. You may be here today, but, and you're sitting down and you're listening, but in your heart you're running. And I want to pray for you too. Father, we are so thankful for the way that you reach down in the midst of a life that uh, isn't paying any attention to you whatsoever and just distracted. And, and as Kirk described in his own life, he was running and uh, into all kinds of things, Father, to try to satisfy his heart, but he was unsatisfied. And we praise you today for the story, the testimony that you have satisfied him and that you are at work in his life and that you're using him. You've changed him. You've made him a new man, different kind of man. And Father, we pray for that one that's here today who's sitting, listening, but running. We ask you, Father, that today they might hear your voice, that the running would stop, and that your Holy Spirit would open up their mind and their eyes, their spiritual eyes, to hear and see the things that changed Kirk's life and can change theirs. Father, this word is your word, and so we ask that through your spirit you would apply it to each of our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kirk. Appreciate you. We're so thankful for Kirk and, and other men who have a ministry um, to men who are involved in outdoors uh, as an avocation and, and through a band of brothers, these men are reaching out to those men who may not know Jesus and may not know someone who also loves the outdoors but also loves Christ. And so whenever you hear about Band of Brothers, pray for them and pray for that, for that particular ministry. I want to call your attention to John chapter 4 today. I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. From the very beginning of the series, this particular passage came back to me every single week. And each week I read it and I said, Lord, I just... I just don't know. And he had something else, but each week he kept showing me this passage. And, and, um, and it's so clear to me that we need to talk about worship today and how Jesus Christ affects you in this area that we call worship. And this woman that Jesus encounters, he has some things to say to her about worship that I believe that we need to hear as a church. 
And then I believe that you, you need to hear as an individual. And understood and received and accepted in much a way that Kirk's life was transformed and the life of so many others here have been changed. Your life can be changed too. You may have known Jesus a long time, but you may not have yet learned to worship him. And so in, as we talk about the gospel and your worship, I just want to begin in verse 5. And it says, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which would have been around noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Immediately, her whole mindset shifts. She's now very interested in this water. We'll read about that in a moment. She says, well, all right, if that kind of thing exists, I'm asking for it. And she wants it. Because in her, in her life, there's a practical need for water. Jesus moves on to help her understand that what he's talking about is not just physical water or physical thirst. And through the conversation that unfolds, he exposes to her her own thirst. She's been married before, not once or twice, but five times. And she's not married at the present time, but she's with a man who's not her husband. And why would a person marry five times? I remember Zsa, Zsa Gabor years ago. How many of y'all remember Zsa, Zsa I don't remember how many times she married. But I remember a quote after one of her marriages had failed and a new one was on the way. She said, I marry for love and I keep getting married until I find it. She was thirsty. And this woman was thirsty. And she had something inside of her that she could not satisfy with relationships and with everything that she tried to put into her life. It was not satisfying her, but she was thirsty. And that thirst was intense and that thirst was real. Always looking, but never finding. Always drinking from the wrong places and so consequently is never satisfied. And Jesus says to her, go call your husband. In verse 11 the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And she's still thinking physical water. Jesus answered and said to her, verse 13, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up in the everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water 
that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So he says in verse 10, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water, a certain kind of water, very special water, and I would give it to you. So in verse 15, she's asking. (laughs) She says, give me this water that I might not thirst nor come here to draw, still thinking about physical water. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Why did Jesus tell her to go call her husband? At that moment, she had an opportunity in front of this man. And men and women didn't talk, and Jews and Samaritans certainly didn't interact. But she had an opportunity to hide, to present herself with a stranger differently than she actually was. She could represent herself as any kind of person she wanted, since he was a stranger, but she didn't hide. She, she was honest. She says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus knew the story, and he told her the rest of the story. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with is not your husband. That impressed her. That impressed her. We read in verse 29 later, she runs home. She tells everybody that will listen, this man knows everything about me. He told me everything that I've ever done. And he, under, he, he sees me, and he knows these things about me. And Jesus had her full attention. Are you thirsty? Throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament, the thing that sets one person apart from another is their thirst. What is it that you are thirsty for? And how are you trying to fill the thirst in your heart? The Bible describes a certain kind of thirst. There are certain people who wake up who realize, like Kirk did, that everything in the world could not satisfy the thirst in their soul. David talks about this, Psalm 63, verse 1. Talked about this with the staff this week on Tuesday. Oh God, you are my God. Early, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. What kind of thirst is that? My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. My soul thirsts for you. It's a soul thirst. And you and I, not understanding that it's a soul thirst can go through our entire lives trying to fill it with things that give us significance and meaning and somehow cause it to stop and cause us to stop that yearning and longing and we're always reaching out, always trying, striving, being dissatisfied, always wanting something, always never seeming to get what we're looking for. Soul thirst. David understands what it's about. My soul thirsts for you. In Psalm 42, verse 1, he says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, what's panting? His soul is panting. His soul is is thirsty. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And there's only one person, one, who can satisfy that thirst. In Isaiah 44, verse 3, the prophet says this, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty. There's a condition. There's a way to be satisfied. God's willing to make us satisfied. He's willing to give us this kind of 
water that will spring up in, in us, and all the time we're thirsting, there's always the satisfaction coming and flowing and flowing and flowing through our heart, through our life. But there's a condition. He says, I will pour water on who? Him who is thirsty. And floods on the dry ground, I will pour my spirit on your descendants. I want to say this morning that worship, worship is the answer to the deepest longing of your soul. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Because in this conversation, this woman was thirsty. Jesus makes it clear that the thirst that's driving her to get married again and again and have these relationships is something that is revealing that there's something missing in her life. And Jesus is talking to her about worship. And the thing that will satisfy you, the thing that will change your life, your deepest longings and desires, is worship. Why is that? Why is that? Because you were created to worship. You were made to worship God. You may come and live here 50 years, 60 years, 30 years, 100 years, doesn't matter. But you were made to worship God. From the very beginning, it says that God made us in his image. We've talked about this before. Made us in his image. What does that mean? It means that God wants an entire universe to know something about who he is through us. That the invisible God wants to make himself known through us. That's how it starts. Where does it end? Go to Revelation 4 and 5. On your own, later, this evening, this afternoon, read it. What is happening in heaven right now? What is happening always in heaven? Always. Worship. Worship. There's a throne. There's someone who sits on it. And there's constant worship. You were made to worship. You were made for eternity. And that is our destiny if we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. And so this hole that is inside of us, what we feel that something's missing, and, and Jesus calls it a thirst, and the Scripture calls it a thirst, a soul thirst. It's a thirst that only he can satisfy that when you and I go before him and we stand before him, sit before him, lie on our face before him, whatever the case may be, that we are in the presence of the one who alone can satisfy that thirst. I want to say three things about worship. First, worship is spiritual. Worship is spiritual. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And so worship is spiritual. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Bible tells us in different places, but one of my favorite passages, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and it describes the way that you are constructed. It says that you have a body, and you have a soul, 
and you have a spirit. Now, the average person, if they think about worship, they think worship is about something you do with your body. Uh, Worship is about a place and a time and certain kinds of activities. That's what this woman thought. Worship is something you do on either Mount Gerizim in 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 the temple of the Samaritans or something you do in Jerusalem in the temple of the Jews. And it's showing up at a certain time on a certain day doing certain things. And in our world today, in our day and time, many people think that, that worship is coming and sitting in a pew. Maybe it's singing a song. Maybe it's uh, lighting a candle, kneeling or standing or making gestures, whatever. They, they feel that worship consists of something that you do with your body. And Jesus is saying that this is not worship, that these things by themselves are not worship. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Why is that important? Well, your spirit, your human spirit, is that part of you that is eternal, that part of you that God designed to have fellowship or communion with him. The human spirit is designed to be that part of you that can have contact with God. Now, the Bible says that without Jesus Christ, without forgiveness of sin, that if you're just standing there before God, just guilty in your life and and your sin is eating you up, that your spirit, the Bible uses this language, it says your spirit is dead, meaning it is separated from God. You're not able to have communion with God. You still have a spirit, but it's separated. You can still, to some extent, experience spiritual things. You can be sensitive to some spiritual activity, not necessarily the spirit of God, but you can be You can be responsive. You can be sensitive to spiritual things, but not necessarily the Holy Spirit. When a person becomes a Christian, one of the very first things that God does is the Holy Spirit of God comes inside and there's a new birth. Your spirit is reborn. We call it being born again. And the Spirit of God comes in and merges with that human spirit, and now that person has the capacity to commune or fellowship with God. And when you do that, You are having the ability now to worship him in spirit, in spirit. So worship is much more than just showing up on a particular day of the week, doing certain activities. Um, I've traveled for 10 years uh, here in Arkansas, visited a lot of different churches. I remember it was like whiplash, cultural whiplash sometimes to go from one church one Sunday to another church on another because their way of worshiping was so different in terms of the songs they sang and the way they conducted their service. And for me, I had preferences. You have preferences on how you prefer to worship. And so I would go and I would come in with my preferences and maybe they weren't doing my preferences. But as someone who loves God, as someone who loves the Lord Jesus, I had a choice to make. I can choose to worship. And so God reminded me of that. He said, you know, worship is a choice, son. Worship is a choice. You choose to worship me. And so I learned whatever I was handed, I choose to worship you, Father. But then I was reminded of something else. Worship is something you choose every day, not just on Sunday. A.W. Tozer once wrote, if you do not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on one day a week. There is no such thing known in heaven as Sunday worship unless it is accompanied by Monday worship and Tuesday worship and so on. You and I were made for worship every day, every moment of our life. We were made to worship Him. So many times in early years, 
spending time alone with God, and I still have this tendency, and I, perhaps you have the same issue or problem. I'll get alone with God in the mornings. I'll get out my Bible. I have something I want to read that day. I have other books that I read, and, and I'll, I'll make it a Bible study time, and I can go through that Bible study time and not have met with Jesus. You say, that sounds odd, Pastor. Well, it's the truth. Well, I've done what I need to do this morning. I'm done. I'll go shave, shower, get ready for my day. Listen, that time is the time where you and I, we meet with Jesus, but it's just lighting up the day. It's just the starting point for a day of worship where the whole day is His. The whole life is His. It doesn't end there. And those days where you think you're too busy and you don't have any time to read or do anything like that, you can still worship Him. You just stop. Say, Lord, Lord. I'm yours. Worship him. Worship is spiritual. Honestly, my desire in worship is to keep growing as a worshiper. As your pastor, I certainly don't feel like I've arrived as a worshiper. One of the reasons I felt so hesitant to even touch this passage is because I feel I have so much to learn about worship. When I think about worship, I feel like a baby with his toe in the ocean. And trying to describe it. When I think about worship, I think about that woman we've already studied in Luke 7. When Jesus was in Simon's house, you remember her? And Jesus was eating at the table, but Simon had not done what a host should do. He had not washed Jesus' feet or anything. Jesus was leaning on his left arm, eating with his right hand. And this woman comes in, uninvited. She wasn't a guest. She comes in. She gets down. And she is weeping. And her tears are so, so much volume to her tears. She's able to wash Jesus' feet with her tears. And then she did something no woman, no woman would have done in that day and time. She let her hair down in public. And she used her hair to dry his feet. Why did she do that? Jesus said, that those who are forgiven much, love much. She was deeply repentant. And she knew what God had done for her. And she worshipped him. She worshipped him. Worship is spiritual. Worship is rational. In verse 24, the Bible says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's the other part of the equation. And truth, it's not based on imagination, where I just sort of make up God, try to just, you know, imagine what he is. It's not based on speculation. If there's a God, this is what I think he's like. No, it's based on revelation. God has revealed to us, through his word, who he is. But more than that, he sent Jesus Christ to reveal to us who he is. God didn't, God didn't want to just leave it to your imagination or your speculation. He says, you want to know who I'm like? I'm sending my son, and he is the perfect image of me. You look at him. You listen to him. You watch him. And when you do that, you'll see me. And Jesus is the one who said in John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And so when Jesus spoke, he was revealing to us the Father. And how did he reveal God to us? How did he reveal God to us? 
So many ways in the Old Testament God is revealed. But the way that Jesus did that was so striking, rarely done in the Old Testament, the way Jesus revealed himself to us, revealed God to us, was as Father. And those who worship the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that, what does that say to you? It's just a small thing. If I'm going to worship him in spirit and truth, here's where I start. He's my Father. What does that imply? Father implies relationship, doesn't it? Father, if you're calling him Father, there's a relationship there. Father, child. It involves guidance, protection, security, love. So when I worship him in spirit and in truth, I come to him as my Father. Worship is personal. Last thing. Worship is personal. Look at verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now look at this. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Seeking such to worship Him. It's personal. I think one of the striking things to me Years ago when I was studying prayer, Matthew 6, 6, where the very first lesson of prayer that Jesus gives is that you and I should do this. He says, if you're going to pray, here's what you do. Go into your room, go into your closet, close the door so that just you by yourself, nobody else, go into your room, close the door, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. What, is that? what did that say? It said to me that God wants to be alone with me. He wants to be alone with me. He wants to be alone with you. And it says the Father is seeking these things. We were with our grandson uh, a week or so ago. We went in to pick up his room. And I would give him a toy and I'd say, Cal, go put that in the toy box. He'd go over, put it in the toy box, come back with another one. I'd say, Cal, buddy, trying to pick up the room here. Get with the agenda. Go put this in the toy box. He'd go put it in the toy box, come back with two more. And after a while, he sort of lost interest in my game, and he left to go see what Gigi was doing. So I took care of it on my own. He was doing everything but what I wanted him to do. He was doing everything but what I was asking him to do. What is it the Father most wants from you? We think, well, God wants us to attend church. God wants us to give. God wants us to go. He wants us to go do things. He wants us to serve him. And sometimes we get so caught up doing all the things. You may be a very sincere and active and longtime Christian, and you can be doing all of those things except the things that the Father wants the most from you. He wants you to worship him. He wants you to love him. He wants to be alone with you. He wants you to be alone with him. Worship is personal, intensely personal. Are we doing everything but what he wants most from us? 